This is The Thomas Guide, your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas, political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is The Thomas Guide with your host, John Thomas. Beto's gone and Pete Buttigieg is saying the race for 2020 is now a two-person race. Is that right? I'll explain that in this episode of The Thomas Guide. Welcome back to this episode of The Thomas Guide. I'm John Thomas, your host, and we've got a lot to get to tonight. Well, Beto dropped out of the race for president. Not that that's any surprise. All of us saw it coming, but it's interesting to step back and look at where Beto came from. He ran for the U.S. Senate, as we all remember, in Texas, raised over, oh, I think it was almost $80 million in small donors, just smashing all records. And the media fell in love with this guy. And, and yes, he didn't win. He came a lot closer than he should have. And I think Beto works one of his biggest mistakes was believing his own press. He didn't understand that the reason the press loved him and that people gave him money was not because Beto O'Rourke was anything special, but it's because it gave liberals and the mainstream media, the liberal mainstream media, the dream of flipping Texas blue and beating the ultimate villain, Ted Cruz. That's all this was about. So Beto believed his own press and said, hey, if I can raise money and if I can come close in Texas, heck, maybe I can run for president and make it a, give a good showing. You know, I understand how that seemed plausible, but Beto's campaign was nothing but gaffes and arrogance and his messaging I never understood what, in fact, he was even saying, other than the fact that he liked to stand on objects like stumps and tables and chairs. He came off like an absolute beta male. He wasn't a confident leader. He was, he was apologizing. In fact, one of his more memorable moments of the campaign was when he apologized to the ladies of The View for his toxic male masculinity and his white male privilege by appearing on the cover of Vanity Fair. How dare he appear on the and say that he was born to run? No one's born for anything. It was pathetic. Look, even the Democratic Party that is as woke as it is in the Democratic primary, they want a strong leader, a strong, confident leader, not someone who talks in prose and not somebody who retreats and looks weak, especially when they're trying to eyeball the next leader that can stand toe-to-toe with Donald Trump in a general election. So it just never was going to happen for Beto. Now, he did have a good first, I think it was like 48 hours or 72 hours, where he raised something like 10 or 12 million in that first launch. But that was, that was the biggest moment of his campaign. The other moment was when he said, hell yes, we'll steal your AR-5 or we'll, we'll, we'll take your guns your AR-15s, and we're going to take them all. You shouldn't have them, uh, which is 
that the lasting impact of his candidacy is going to be that clip that the NRA and other Republican groups are going to be able to use when Democrats say, oh, we don't want your guns. We don't want to take your guns. No, no, no. We want common sense gun reform, common sense background checks, common sense this. Then you roll the clip. Hell yes, we want to take your AR-15s. Hell yes, we want to take your guns. <sighs> That's going to be the, the last uh, lasting bit of his campaign. Now, why did he drop out? I'll tell you why he dropped out. He wasn't going to qualify for the next debate. And he was broke. It, he, would, he would keep going. But I guarantee you, when, when the quarterly numbers come out on December 31st, uh, well, they'll be released shortly thereafter because it takes the FEC a, a week or so to tally the numbers up. But when that, that, those numbers come out, it's going to tell the real story here that he was broke, that he couldn't keep the lights on, he couldn't pay staff. Hell, he probably couldn't even afford to fly to the debate, even if he qualified. He probably, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm sure somebody will tally that he received a bump in contributions from the hell yes, we'll take your guns bit. But clearly that wasn't enough. It was probably just a blip. Just like what Kamala Harris received when she said she was that little girl in the initial ta attack against Joe Biden, she received a several million dollar blip that allowed her to finish the last quarter strong. But she hasn't received any moments since then. And I suspect she'll be dropping out within the next couple, couple weeks. In fact, she just qualified for the next debate. So I was just talking with somebody, somebody about this earlier. I won't name the source, but a very high, high ranking source in the national media. And we were debating about when Kamala drops out because she has no path forward. Her campaign is dead. I mean, completely dead. Um, she's an incompetent candidate. She keeps having stumble after stumble. Can't get any good press. Her traditional money shut off. Her small dollar money, you know, has to be almost dried up. In fact, the only reason small donors give is when they think you're winning and when you're in the news. And she, Kamala, has none of those. At the same time, Kamala's state of California, where I live, is burning down. And she's out dancing in parades in Iowa. I mean, just the optics of it look terrible. Um, so the question is, does Kamala go to the December debate or does she drop out beforehand? And it's hard to speculate and say definitively what the answer is here because if her consultants are being honest with her, her strategists are going to say, Kamala, there is no path. You are polling at 2%. You're not going to make it. In fact, if you go any further, it's just going to hurt your political capital and your career. Uh, and if you dare try to go to Iowa, you're going to get smoked. But furthermore, you can't go to Iowa because you're going bankrupt. Kamala, just she announced she was scaling back some of her operations. She completely shut down on Friday. She shut down her New Hampshire office and fired all staff. Why is that so significant? What's well, one thing if you, you close a Texas office or even a South Carolina office. But to close a second primary state is shows you like you don't do that unless you absolutely have to. I mean, she's going broke. She cannot keep the lights on. She can't afford to pay the staff that's required. She can't invest in the infrastructure and you can have all the TV ads and everything you want. But if you don't have the infrastructure to move those people that you've persuaded, identify them and move them to the polls, your TV ads aren't going to work. 
Well, good for Kamala because she doesn't have money for TV ads. So I suppose there's nobody to move. Uh, but uh, to me at this point, if Kamala does not drop within, say, the next two weeks, it is just a matter of her being stubborn or her consultants being greedy. One or the other. But I suspect it's Kamala and her family being stubborn going, well, let's give it one last shot at the debate and maybe we can catch on fire and then regroup. Well, here's the problem. She's a terrible debater. Other than that one early attack, now everybody's on to her game. She doesn't do well in these debates. So the odds of her having a, a, a turnaround moment is slim to none. And we've also known from these debates that there haven't been any moments that have fundamentally transformed the tra- trajectory of anyone's campaign. Kamala had the I was a little girl moment. Great. She had a good 24, 72 hours. Bombed after that. Beto had his I'll take your guns. Good. Bombed after that. Debates reassure the faithful and keep the trend lines holding. But really, the debates do more harm than good here. They really haven't changed the trajectory of these races. So if, you're, if I were advising Kamala, I'd say get out now. Safe face. Try to cut a deal with Joe Biden to be his VP if he, he becomes a nominee. And, and that's that. But the problem is she doesn't have a lot of political capital to deal with right now. Because everyone understands that the emperor has no clothes. She's pulling a 2%, both nationally and in the state polls. So what is she going to do to say to a Joe Biden? Hey, hey, hey you really need me. You better select me as your AG or, or your VP because, you know, I'm really going to deliver all the African-Americans to you. Really? You're not carrying any of the African-American vote now, or almost not. I think Pete Buttigieg is clip, clipping at your heels, and he's got no black support. So it's, it's actually, I'm not saying that any of the candidates would turn down her support, but she doesn't deliver anything. So. Kamala needs to be thinking about she's not going to be president. Okay. That much is clear, but what, at least this cycle, but what is her next act? That's what she should be thinking about. And I don't think she should go to the debates. If she's smart, she doesn't. But again, I think her ego is too large to prevent her from not going to the debate for one last 15 minutes of fame. So I'll be watching that. But Pete Buttigieg, did an interview on a show called The Circus. It's a show with some uh, veteran political campaign reporters. It airs on Showtime every Sunday. And he was being interviewed uh, by one of the the main reporters and anchors of the show about the state of the race. And listen to this. It's interesting how he summed this up. I think this is getting to be a two-way. It's early to say it. I'm not saying it is a two-way, but I think- But you see um, that. You see it's coming into focus, you and Warren. Yeah, and certainly a world where we're getting somewhere is that world, where it's coming down to the two of us. Obviously, there's a lot of candidates and a lot of things can happen, but I think that as that happens, the contrasts become clear. Look, the, the contrasts are real. Uh, they're substantive, respectful policy contrasts, but they're real. First of all, it's interesting you say that, right? So you accept the notion right now that it's kind of Warren against the field, really. Yeah. Someone's trying to become the, the, the alternative to yeah. Warren right now, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's shaping up that way. And so the former vice president of the United States is like, in your mind at this point, already like gone? I would say this. Either he is the unstoppable front runner and we can all go home or he's not. Right. And anybody who's in this race uh, is here on the assumption that, that he's not.
so it's interesting and pretty bold for him to plant that idea. The question is, was that strategic or was that just him talking off the top of his head? I actually think Pete is incredibly smart and incredibly strategic. I think it was strategic. I think what he was trying to do is drive, drive the conversation and the narrative that this is, in fact, a two-way race starring Pete Buttigieg. And he wanted people to debate whether or not he is number two underneath Elizabeth Warren, because that's where he wants to be. So whether or not it's true is irrelevant. The fact that people have that conversation elevates Pete, that he might be in second and have already eclipsed Joe Biden and everybody else. Pete wants this to be a two-way race. So I think he actually said it on purpose. I think it was premeditated, not just, oh, he said it on purpose because the reporter asked the question. I think he said it because he knew that it would set off a series of media questions because on, on CBS, Kamala Harris was asked about whether or not this is a two-person race. And remember, Kamala is an almost dead last. Here's what Kamala Harris had to say. I'm all in in Iowa. I'm all in. Your team vowed in the last month that you would finish in the top three in this state. That's still the goal? We are going to end up in Iowa doing very well. But does it have to be a top three finish? I think it has to be exactly what we want it to be. <laughs> Which is, that would be a victory yeah. then, right? Well, we listen, I, we're going to do well in Iowa, and I'm sure of that. There were some curious comments by Mayor Pete Buttigieg this weekend. It's, he's trying to suggest now that this is becoming a two-person race between him and Senator Warren. Well, I think that that's just a, um, that it's naive for him to think that at this point, that the, the, the fate of this election has been determined. Just look at history. You might need to review past elections to know that what's happening right now um, is not necessarily determinative of the outcome. Besides the fact that Kamala has this awkward trait of laughing at her own jokes that aren't necessarily funny, that aside, um, there were a couple moments in that clip, especially if you could watch it, which I did, you could see her words are saying one thing. Oh, it's not, it's not a two-person race. Oh, silly Pete. But her eyes and her expression are saying the another, which is, oh my God, I'm not in this race. I'm not in this race. Um, but uh, it was funny because she didn't really, it was funny and not in a ha-ha way, but ironic because she really isn't in the, this race any longer. It's much more of a two-way race than it is a Kamala Harris <laughs> race. Um, and, and she is trying her best to spin it. Otherwise, I, I think Pete's arrogance, uh, or at least his perceived arrogance is not, it's not right. And this is, this isn't a two person race just yet. We know who the top four or five is. That's what the race is really beginning to settle out. We know who the top players are, but Kamala certainly isn't one of them. What was interesting was when she said that. Buttigieg then folded like a lawn chair and told uh, CBS, because CBS then stuck a camera in Pete's face later on. And Pete said, quote, um, well, they said, what do you think about, you know, Kamala Harris calling your two-way race, quote, naive? And Buttigieg said to CBS, quote, she's right. Look, where we are now is three months ahead of the Iowa primary. 
and uh, or the or the Iowa caucuses and the Iowa caucuses are just the beginning. So um, it's interesting. So he walked it back. Which tells me, on the one hand, he was trying not to sound arrogant like this is one and done, but he knew exactly what he was doing, planting that narrative. This is a two person race between Buttigieg and Warren, and that's where he wants to be. So um, we'll see how that narrative evolves. If Biden implodes, this does, in fact, become a two person race between Warren and, and, and Buttigieg. He hasn't he is on an implosion course, but he hasn't fully imploded yet because he's still holding on to a pretty good chunk of the African-American vote. And Buttigieg isn't eating into that support yet. So Buttigieg has got to crack that code. Now, polling shows that Biden's team may not even finish in the top three in Iowa. Biden is polling at about two or three percent in Iowa right now. And they just uh, the New York Times wrote a piece over the weekend about how Biden's Iowa state director, the head of all of Iowa, is not from Iowa. Like, and I don't just mean like wasn't born in Iowa. I mean, doesn't live in Iowa. <laughs> doesn't have any roots to Iowa. So he's built an organization that really isn't from Iowa, doesn't have good roots to Iowa. Um, it, that's not good. Then yet on top of it, that Biden is having several senior moments where he keeps going in Iowa, going talk, referencing Iowa calling it Ohio. Um, and now that's not fatal, but it's these little things eat away at Biden. So Biden's team has already been forecasting for weeks. And I've talked about it on the show that they're trying to reduce expectations for Iowa and New Hampshire and go all in on South Carolina. Now, is it possible that, that Biden dominates in South Carolina and then comes back? Yeah, it is. But he's underestimating the whipsaw momentum that you have if you win or place in the top two or three in Iowa and New Hampshire. And the momentum can be so strong out of those first two, two states that it will break down Biden's firewall in South Carolina, preventing him from winning there. So for him to already be abandoning Iowa is a terrible sign. If you're if you're Biden, but they're playing the card that they've cards that they have. And 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 that's that. So. Um, so another thing that I another issue I want to I want to cover on the podcast today is Fox News has a new poll out. Showing 49 percent of Americans want Trump impeached, and it also showed that almost every high profile Democrat running beats Trump in a general head to head election. The question is, is it true? Do Democrat do, do does do America forty nine percent of Americans want him impeached? Uh, first of all, I took a look in the cross tabs and the, actually the as well as the sample what's comprised of this poll, and they're overrepresenting certain groups. I think they're overrepresenting young people. Um, but really, all we should care about is not what, quote, America thinks. This is politics. So let's talk about not just registered voters, but also likely voters of the people that are going to go to the ballot box. 
What do they think? And when you look at those numbers, it paints a much better story for the president. It's anywhere from about 35 to 38% of Americans want him impeached. But that's not even the full story because those numbers have shifted. It was, if you look at the average of polls that were fairly designed in their sample of who they asked, it's fallen back about four points on average. So as of a week or so ago, support for impeachment was in the mid 40s. Now it's in the low 40s, high 30s. Now, that's not a terrible place for the president to be, but it's also so it should flash some warning signs on the dashboard that the president and the Republicans can't take their foot off the gas. They have to fight back or the Democrats uh, may win the narrative here, especially because Adam Schiff and Pelosi are in charge of the process of what information gets leaked, how the process is, uh, how Americans see the process. Try, they have the ability to drive the news cycle better than the Republicans. So they need to be careful. I think what's likely to happen is the House is going to vote to impeach, I think, sometime in the month, month of November. Then it's going to get moved to the Senate. And I think McConnell will kill it almost same day, probably same week. Because he doesn't want this circus to go on. And, the, and he's going to have the votes to kill it quickly because we were looking, I was watching for when the House voted to open an impeachment, impeachment inquiry last week. There was not one Republican defection in the House of Representatives to vote in support of the inquiry. If no one in the House is defecting, no meaningful presence in the Senate is going to defect that. So McConnell has the votes he needs just to hold a vote and kill it. That's what's going to happen. So those are the things I'm watching. Tomorrow, a bunch of new state-by-state state state polls are going to be released from the New York Times and several others. Um, I'm going to be all over that. So I'm going to spend some time digging through those polls because, the, again, the national polls are interesting, but they really don't tell the whole story. The state-by-state polls, I'm so curious to see if they're going to, I think they're going to release a South Carolina poll. I'm dying to see where we are today and compare that to where we've been. Because that may tell the story if Biden's firewall is cracking or if it's holding strong or growing. And I'm also interested in the dynamic of if Warren isn't the nominee, are we going to write the postmortem saying that it was Bernie Sanders' fault? that he was the spoiler because I think we will if she's not the nominee, but I do think she still got a damn good chance of being the nominee. And I also want to remind you that as of today, we are one year out from election day. So buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride for all sides, but it's also going to be a ton of fun. You're not going to want to miss a single episode of the Thomas guide because this is the only place where you can get balls and strikes and find out what's actually happening and what it all means. And I help you sort it out. So thanks for listening. You can tweet me at the Thomas Guide on Twitter. Of course, follow me on, uh, on Facebook or you can go to the, the And if you like this show, don't mind if you write a review or give me some stars. That'd be great. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.